as we look to reopen the country and get back to life after this what feels like forever quarantine, we have a new reality. COVID's now another one of millions of germs that we're going to be confronted with every day, every week, every month of our lives. But in order to reopen, we need not just to be able to bend the curve of new cases, but we have to have the treatments and the testing in place for them. The scientists have worked over time. They've worked insane amounts to be able to discover some great new treatment prospects and to develop tests for this very new strain of a virus, which is phenomenal. Now, the problem is that it's utterly confusing. Depending on what news channel you listen to, depending on what you read, these same treatments are great or they're horrible. They're ready or they're not. And it's enough to make your head explode. Well, I had the great opportunity last week to talk to Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum about this on a Facebook Live. And we're going to share this with you in in, uh, this coming podcast because the information was so important and so well received. Now, here's the thing you need to know. Even in the last few days, there was a new test that was just approved this weekend by the FDA, a, a blood plasma test that tests both IgG and IgM antibodies, which is enormous breakthrough. And if that actually can roll out quickly, that can be a game changer. So listen now as I talk to Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. And please, please, please rate and review it when we're done and share this because we are all needing this information. We need to be able to understand what is real, what is not, and how to get out of our houses. Hey, everybody, this is my first Facebook Live. The whole point today, so here's why we're talking today and why I've got Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum from Hawaii. I woke him up early. Um, to be talking about COVID and the confusion every day I get up and the headlines are more extreme. The, they talk about the, the curve is bending, which our goal was to bend the curve. And they talk about fewer people are getting in the hospital. Fewer people are contracting the disease, even though and testing is up. So that's great news. Meanwhile, the governors have us now, they're saying more people have to wear face masks, no matter where you are outside of the house. So they're putting even more restrictions on, and yet there's progress going on. Mm-hmm. We've got people talking about whether or not you should, um, whether or not we'll even get out before there's a vaccine, whether or not there are treatments available, the treatments are dangerous, the treatments are not. So the goal of today was to talk about these treatments and, and resolve confusion, hopefully put you at ease and let you know that there are options that are out there that you know, depending on what channel you watch, you're getting an entirely different answer. So Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum, let me just introduce him to you for a second so you know who he is and how great he is. He's a board certified intern. I, want, I have to read it so I get it all right. Um, a board certified internist, nationally known expert in the fields of chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, sleep, and pain, all of which have elements of anxiety, depression, part of the disease profile. Um, Dr. Teitelbaum has written 10 books, including From Fatigue to Fantastic and Real Causes, Real Cures, which is soon to be published by Bottom Line. And he is an expert on um, infection. He's an expert on holistic health. Somehow he knows everything. Real Causes, Real Cures has the answers to so many ailments and diseases. That will be out by Bottom Line sometime soon. So Jake, welcome. Thank you officially. Uh, Sarah, aloha and welcome everybody because there's so much craziness out there and misinformation about this disease. The reason I'm here today is as a scientist, as somebody who's been a doctor for over 40 years and very, very familiar with these areas, uh, not just the virus, but with the media and the 
political craziness and how they play in, you're going to understand what's really going on. You don't need to panic. You just need to be cautious and what you need to do to really thrive and do fine through this virus. So, and so let's start with that, Jake. I mean, in terms of just let's assuage some of the fear because you've got, again, the numbers they've got last yesterday, they were talking about there were more deaths in Connecticut and in New York than there had been. And yet they're playing a little fast and loose with those numbers. They're, uh, they're assigning deaths to people that didn't necessarily die of COVID. They might have been, they might've had it, but they died of something else. Um, these 200 deaths in Connecticut yesterday, they actually were a backlog of death certificates. They kind of caught up. And then the headline says 200. So how do we keep people like calm on that resolve? First of all, stop looking at that stuff. If to put, let me give some perspective. You had about sixty to eighty thousand people die each year in the United States from just the regular flu, and you're looking at about a hundred to two hundred thousand here. Um, measles. Uh, well, let's, let's look at hepatitis. Hepatitis kills over four hundred thousand Americans a year. So every year, year in, year out twice as many people to four times as many people die from hepatitis, heart disease, seven to eight times more likely. So it's not that major a deal. This is not the plague. Uh, the plague in Europe killed one half the population. Uh, so, this virus, you're looking at not just less than one, but less than one third of 1% of so the population. So let me ask you this though, and I was gonna talk about it later, but let me ask you this now. Um, you know, in terms of, just to be clear, the, the mortality rate, is going down right now. They originally thought that it was going that it was like fifteen percent. It was ten percent. It was six percent. They don't know because the they we still don't know how many people have had it. There's so many people that might have had this that never went to the doctor, never got reported. So the arithmetic is off, and the deaths are off. One percent. Right, and this is what the that there are people that are saying that it's going to be one percent or even less by the time all testing yep. is done. Well, here's the thing. We had a really wonderful test tube called a cruise ship for what the virus does. It was a closed system. We knew they could test everybody on it pretty much. And 1% of people who got it basically died from it. And this was a population that older people tend to be on cruises. Right, which usually... is the most vulnerable. Right. Yeah. So we're looking at 1% at the upside. And so, you know, if you get it, there's, you know, basically you have less than one three out of a hundred. I mean, it's basically one third of 1%. It's not a really high number. Now, let me um, ask you about this, the contagion. So they're talking about that this is far more contagious than the flu, that the flu, the average person who gets the flu infects one to two people. They're saying this, the average person who's getting COVID is infecting five to six people. But is that simply because this is a new germ so that there's well, no herd immunity? So people aren't yet, they'll have no defenses against it whatsoever? Well, that's simply because the media wants to scare you to death. Understand that the media's job is not to inform you. You know, even Mark Twain knew, you know, a hundred some years ago when he talked about the news, he said, well, if you don't read the news, you're uninformed. If you do read the news, you're misinformed. And that holds true even today. Thomas Jefferson was even less kind. He said he never read the papers. It was nonsense. Well, but so when this, this is going to come around, this isn't mm -hmm. going to come and go. COVID is now going to be part of our life. We don't so know. So when it comes again, huh, pardon? 
we don't know because this is the first time for right. it. We, uh, we don't know if it's going to be seasonal. Uh, prop, right. My guess is that it will be recurrent, but we don't know if it's going to be seasonal or anything like that. But again, you you talked about the the end not, uh, you know, of the the flu. The flu, if each person has a flu, is likely to get about two other people sick. Where with the COVID, they're looking at about two to three people sick. Those are the most commonly used numbers. If you look at the Imperial College, you know, the main organizations, it's slightly more contagious than the flu. Chicken pox, instead of three people, somebody chicken pox would get 10 to 12 people sick with okay. chicken pox. I was hearing them saying like four to six in terms of the COVID. But again, Mostly I wasn't sure if it was because it was new. You know, nobody part has of it. any defenses there, to it. There's no herd immunity. Right. You know, the flu comes in. It's a new flu, but it's kind of like the old one. Our bodies have learned the tricks for how to fight it. So, you know, less people are contagious, so less likely to get it. All right. Let's talk about, so now let's talk about treatments. Because again, I think what's going to reduce the anxiety, we'll, or, you know, they'll talk about vaccines. We'll get to that later. But also if there are treatments right now, everybody feels helpless because there's nothing to treat it. But there's some, some things that are talked about. There's debate. So the number one, the hydroxychloroquine, and the z the antibiotic and the anti-malarial. So there is those who say, and President Trump's been criticized for this, that you know, early tests were looking very positive. And then there are those that say, oh no, it's horribly dangerous because there are side effects and you might get AFib and you might go blind and it really doesn't work that effectively in people. So truth, please. Let me give the truth. The truth is if I had it, I would be taking the Zitomax and Plaquenil in a heartbeat. I would not even be thinking twice about it. It's a no-brainer. Of course you do it. So why the controversy? You have to understand in medicine, medicine is a wonderful, uses science. And sometimes it uses science as this wonderful tool. And sometimes it uses it as a religion that's fueled by money. And more often the latter. Science is a wonderful tool, but it's a god-awful religion. So what Fossey is saying is that, and I, he's a good man. I like him, but he's out of line here. Uh, basically, he's saying unless you have randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled, large studies, um, the thousands of people, we just don't know. And just um, to be clear, that's the traditional way that drugs come to market. But exactly. Of, right. But of course, by the time those drugs come to market, to be clear to everybody, those haven't been tested on everybody anyway. They don't know what something's going to fully be like until it's in the marketplace. And when it comes to the market, what has much more impact on its safety and effectiveness is its profitability. That's a topic for a different thing. <laughs> so, so the thing is that, look, you're having a new virus, and it would sure be nice to go ahead and take the two and a half years it takes to properly design and do all these studies, but you don't have that. So he is saying no double-blind studies. He's not saying, well, let's use the data at hand, which is what common sense and science says. Well, are the He's, lawyers also protecting him? Is it, is it, are these I, lawyers that are getting in the way of no. not wanting it to you know, no. be more publicly no. available? No. It's just that he has this religious belief that until you have double-blind studies. So, for example, if he was sitting in a boat that was taking on water and starting to sink, and they started handing out the life preservers, his way of thinking here, he would be demanding no life preservers. There are no double-blind studies that life preservers work. Stop passing out life preservers. And people say, we know they work. You know, we have, but it's not double-blind studies. You know, he'd be in an airplane going down. 
and you know he'd say no parachutes, so no double blind. It's it's exactly like that. There's no difference. It's it become a religious statement on his part, not common sense, not science. Science says you take the data you have, you see what it says, and the data we have so far is, and when you run a risk balance, a risk benefit analysis of how likely is it to help you, there's a very high probability that the Plaquenil and Zithromax combination will be life-saving for tens of thousands of people. And this the is, how many studies have there been? There was the France study. Dr. Oz this morning was talking about a study in Shanghai, actually, where it, it reduced, what did I say? It reduced the, length, the symptoms, the, the length and duration, although yes. I'll call it, it didn't cure it. So I don't know. It seems like a distinction without a difference, perhaps. Well, let me give it a distinction. So say you have people like you and I, we're doing fine. We get the virus and we, we have a little cough. Okay. That's when you want to start it. The risk in that population is very low and the probability is it'll keep them from being in the hospital and becoming that very sick group. In the very sick group, which was the Shanghai group, the French group, um, what you see was that it shortened it, the duration of the symptoms, but very critically, people, instead of being contagious for 22 days, were only contagious for four days. Wow. Okay, and if you think about what it takes to stop the spread of the virus in the population, we talked about the N-aught a little bit, likelihood of it triggering, and that contributes to when you can come down off a lockdown, it's very important. So. For those of you watching, I want to give you a simple data point that's very clear and really is uncontested. And then knowing that when you read in the news media, you know, have fun with it. So you, you talk, they'll talk about in the news media um, about the Plaquenil can cause vision losses, right? You see this all the time, it affects the eyes. So here's the simple truth very clear in the literature. In over 10 million people who have taken Plaquenil short term, as we're envisioning here, there have been zero cases, and they've been looking closely, zero, zero, zero cases in 10 million people of vision problems taking it short term. Not ever once. And so, even the people that take it long term, those are people with autoimmune diseases. They the can see part, it that after, they, after two to five years, right. and even then it's uncommon. Right. And those people, their, their immune systems are in different situations anyway. Their whole bodies have a different level in of In those defense. people, you look at the eyes every six right. months, and if they're starting to show the changes, you stop the medicine right. in those rare cases. There have been zero cases of it causing vision problems in this population. So if you are reading somewhere in the media that says they can cause vision problems, and not taking into account that we're talking short term here, they're doing what is called lying. Well, how about AFib? Because that's been the other thing that they've talked about. Well, it's more VTAC, actually. It's uh, Tursad's the point. So how about the arrhythmias? Chloroquine taken by itself, short term, has never caused dangerous arrhythmias either. Taken long term for years, you can see uh, rhythm abnormalities, but never in the six-day course ever in 10 million people. So. You've never seen it for either medication, and it's been looked for, and it's been, and unlike a new drug that's been tested on 2,000 people, this has been tested on over tens of millions of people. And how about so, the interaction when they're putting a, two, two drugs together, which you always have to watch out for? That's the kicker. That's the question they really need to be asking. So if you see anybody in the media that says, oh, you just take the Plaquenil, you're going to get those two things, 
just you know that they are lying to you. Turn that off. Don't watch them anymore. Don't read them anymore. They are lying to you. It's really clear. There's kind of layers. Now, if they're saying that in the sickest people, because you'll have 20% of people where the, the virus affects the heart as well, and those are the ones in the hospital with the you know, shortness of breath, and they're looking at a ventilator. Um, in that population, you can see a level of arrhythmia, some people who get abnormal heart rhythms, uh, by combining the two. Now, we know that if you give three times the recommended dose, which they did in Brazil, you'll see the abnormal rhythms. Um, so, but that's crazy. There's no need to do that. So we're not seeing a whole lot yet at this point, but those people, and we know who they are, the ones who have had heart attacks and heart failure. So those are people, their option is take these drugs or, or likely a die. I mean, well, by the by time you're on a ventilator, you're looking at either you take these drugs and you have a maybe one-tenth of or maybe a one percent chance of dying from the drugs, or you have a 50 percent chance of dying from the COVID. Right. So how about, so Rita Wilson took these drugs and mm -hmm. she, uh, Tom Hanks' wife, he had no problem with the drugs. I think they were both on them. She complained that it had extreme side effects, nausea, dizzy, and weak muscles. Nausea is the main side effect. Dizziness and weak muscles are probably more the virus and maybe killing off the virus. Right. But the main side effect would be nausea uh, or diarrhea. And if that happens and it's uncomfortable to stop it. But one of the main side effects of the virus is just what you described. Nausea, right. weak muscles, and dizziness, uh, you know, right. achiness. So. And the other thing that strikes me as funny is that, you know, if you watch every TV commercial, they have a long list, if anyone listens, to all the things that every drug can do. So they're making a big deal about the risks. And I'm, I'm the first one to get online to say, take drugs last choice, not first choice. Mm. But in this case, they're making the biggest deal about these side effects. Every drug, everybody out there that's listening, you're likely on some prescription medication and look and see what you're at risk for. Yeah, Sarah, let me give them a simple perspective. Right. If you take Motrin, ibuprofen, that family of medications, that whole NSAID group, kills about 50,000 Americans a year. You won't hear a hear peep that. about that. These are major studies of right. over half a million people. Not a word on most media. And now, coincidentally, they have what do they die Media's from? made uh, they die of a thirty-five percent increased risk of heart attack and stroke and sixteen thousand mm -hmm. bleeding ulcer deaths a year. But not a word in the media because they're one of the major advertisers, is my suspicion. And you'll find that the media one, if they are democratic, and since Trump said it, they will just make up total nonsense. And I'm not saying that it, it works on both media sides. Right and left will do the same thing. Everybody has their things. They're all doing it. Um, and if there's an advertiser, so Gilead is the third biggest pharmaceutical advertiser when I checked around a month last month, uh, last year. And Gilead is making the antiviral drug. That's one of them that's being tested. So you will hear this the media will sing its praises. That's the remdesivir? Yes. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yep, and neither okay, so do I. I want to so talk about that in a sec. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me remind anybody if anybody has any questions, type them on in. I've got a system set up here. Someone's going to text me because I was having a screen issue. Um, so if you have questions about this for the doc or about any of this, then, then chime in and we'll ask it along. Um, so, one last thing on the hydro, uh, the, the Plaquenil, <laughs> say it that way, and the Z pack. Um, when should people be taking it? So should everybody have, at first or only if their symptoms get bad enough? I recommend at first sign of symptoms of cough or shortness yeah. of breath that people be on it. Vulnerable populations, I recommend even at the first signs of the sore throat, 
achiness, a headache. And basically, if they're having a fever, that's a bit of a late sign. I'm going to put them on it. And I'm not going to wait for the testing unless they have a test, which is a quick test. Basically, do whatever test that they have available because that's all you're going to have as an option. But if they have one that gives you results in an hour, which they're developing now, then I would wait on the hour to take it. If not, I would get the test. I would, I would take it and get the test sometime in the next two days uh, because by day three or four, you're likely no longer going to be contagious. Uh, so you want to do the test in the first day or two so you can know if you did have it so you can go out and play and not worry about it anymore. All right. So there's a lot of debate about the availability of this drug. Um, in some places, you have to go to a hospital. They're only allowing it in the hospital. They're talking about shortages, and yet the math doesn't add up to me because they've got, what I see, there's... Sandoz was donating, it has a stockpile. Um, 30 million doses were being donated by Sandoz. That's in addition to whatever was already stockpiled. And I don't even know if that's doses like for one person for the seven days they need to take it or divided by the 14 pills. But even yep. then, for the amount of people that are sick right now, that should be plenty for who's currently got it. And yet people say they're having a hard time getting it. So what should people do to be able to get the drug? Well, it's tricky because each state has their own guidelines and it's a matter of availability, but they, they're sending more and more. And I've been trying to figure out if it's 50 million doses or 50 million people, you know, pills or people, like, no way for me to say, but the, the pharmacy should be getting it in. So basically for the people that I'm treating, I'm just giving them a prescription to have on hand for if they get the symptoms and then they call the pharmacy and they go ahead and and check and when it's available and the pharmacy says they can get it, then they should get it if they have the symptoms. But and should I, anyone feel guilty that they're stealing it from someone that has lupus? No. Because that's the other headline. If you, you know, if you give it to the people with COVID, then all the people that have autoimmune diseases that are taking it will be- You're looking at four to six weeks of having the shortfall not being available, but there's so much being produced because they've ramped up production right. that that should be readily available right. again soon. And, well, drug and again, they're saying they have it in the stockpile. They, they, they should be releasing that. I, I don't know what the politics <laughs> over that. But understand, if you are taking Plaquenol for this uh, rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, it stays in your body for one to three months. It's not going to stop working because you miss a dose. It's one to three months where it stays in the body and then gradually you know, fades out. So most of you will be fine for the four to six weeks that it may take to get it. And you're first in line when it does come to the pharmacy. They set it aside for you first now. Right. So that's going to be a very temporary thing that, although they're scaring people with it, should not be a big problem, even for those. Okay. All right. So let's talk about that remdesivir, or however you pronounce it, the, the Gilead Labs. And um, I mean, it's early stage. What I really want to say in this, again, We've got, so the, the Plaquenil, these are drugs that have been around. They understand how they're used. What do people need to understand about a new drug? Because everybody's getting excited. There's a new drug that's being developed. And yet oh, those oh, take that, years. But Sarah, that's very exciting because a new drug is still covered under patents. So you can charge whatever you want for it. And it's really but, profitable. No, and we can advertise it. Safe? Who cares to them about safe? I care. And they, everybody watching here cares. Yeah, but not the media, not the politicians. Okay. Right. I'm, so, I'm, te I'm teasing a bit here. Okay, so, so... But seriously, I mean, because again, people are all excited about new drugs, new vaccines, and we'll talk about vaccine in a second. That new drugs, oh, it's going to save the day from this new disease. But no. to properly develop and properly test a drug takes years and years. Again, they're worried about the side effects of the Plaquenil, they have no idea 
about what's going to happen on these new drugs. Exactly so. No, we do have some idea. We know that they will charge. They're off the record saying $1,000 per dose. Now, I remember when they made the hepatitis drug and I was all excited about the research coming out and saying, this is great. And the company was saying, we're gonna make this really low cost for people and make it available for everybody, all the PR. And then they marked it at $100,000 per course, per person. Oh, sure. So I, they don't have a good track record here right. when they say, oh yeah, probably just be $1,000 per person. No, it's not going to be that. So this really, in reality, this is nothing that's happening anytime soon. Is what this is really nothing that's happening soon. Right. It's not anything you would do unless you're in the hospital uh, because then they give it intravenous. It's not an early thing like the Plaquenil and, and Zithromax. It's something that if somebody comes in and they are basically looking ventilator bound, they should be on the medication just because you got a 50% chance of dying if that happens. May as right. well and do whatever you have at it. But otherwise, no. And to me, again, the black window, like that's that's something that can let us out of our house. I'll call it tomorrow, yes. right? Not tomorrow, but yes. that's there's a treatment that's there. All right, let me ask you, how about the, go ahead. Well, remember, you talked about N-OT, which is if one person gets into the population mm -hmm. who has the disease, how many people will they infect? Mm -hmm. And when we're looking at about two to three now for the COVID, regular uh, flu two. Once it goes under one, then the uh, virus peters out and it goes away and that's when you can start coming off lockdown. So if somebody is contagious for four days, taking the Plaquenolins at their max and 22 to 44 days without it, that drops that an odd number, the likelihood of being contagious, wow, way right. down and it allows us to come off lockdown. Right. Okay. Now, how about they're talking about this, these plasma transfusions? Is that a realistic thing? No. I mean, I have because, an opinion, but. well, the thing is, it's not unreasonable if you're on a ventilator or on the way to dying, but we don't have enough people who have antibodies in their blood that even if we took blood from everybody and pulled it, it's extraordinarily expensive. There's no way they can get enough for more than just a few people. And, uh, and I think it's going to be a modest benefit, but I, it's, it's a Hail Mary. Well, the thing that I was reading, because of the way what they're learning about the mechanism of the virus, that it's really, it's not a respiratory disease. It's a, it's a um, iron and an O2 carrier disease. That's both. That, right? So that, that, the, um, that the plasma only is a short-term holdover because the blood itself is not able to carry the, the oxygen to the parts of the body. Well, here's the thing. If you did a whole body blood transfusion, that would help until the virus breaks down that new blood. So, but it's, these are long shot things. They should be being studied. They should be looked at, but this is not something that's really going to help the population as a whole. Right. It's not um, realistic anyway to roll out with that in a significant number. Nobody's, yeah, you can't get the available. blood. You, right. I'm not, not everybody's going in for transfusion. Yeah, if a hundred pounds right. of gold could kill somebody, that would be nice. But there's not enough gold on the planet to get more than you know, a, couple, you know, a small percent of people. Right. So, it's that's not a very reasonable thing. They are looking at other things, but there are other things like melatonin, where it's very early, but melatonin is dirt cheap and very safe. You know, if I had the disease, uh, I would be going up on it. I'd, I'd like to do a quick mention that to decrease the risk, you know, to optimize immunity, I think is really important because most people don't get most infections to come around. And why? Because your immunity is up. So I just want to one sentence, zinc, 15 milligrams a day, vitamin C, 500, and vitamin D, 1,000 units. Um, and those will help protect against this. And optimize why your immunity yeah. so you're less likely to catch it. Um, and, and I think those hydrated. amounts, 
at those amounts, like zinc 15 milligrams, that's pretty much in a multivitamin, right? 11 um, or 15? There's a multivitamin I recommend called the Energy Revitalization System, where one scoop a day has all of that and 47 other things that really help optimize immunity and health and well-being. That's what I take myself. I'm not worried about the virus. You know, I'm taking those things. I'm getting my sleep. I'm staying hydrated. I'm using reasonable precautions. If I do get it, I'm going to go on the Zithromax and Plaquenil. And even though I'm technically in the age group and the whole thing, I feel 31, but I was born 67 years ago. So, uh, you know, I'm in that age group. So technically I should be worried and, you know, but I, I'm not worried about it because these are the things I've done. I feel well protected with it. I feel safe. And I'm just having a good time. Last night we were dancing to rock music with my honey on my patio. And that's because we're locked in and having fun with it. And that's what builds your It's not a big deal. <laughs> well, the moon is very big in Hawaii. It was uh, very nice. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk for a second about mm -hmm. the, um, I have a couple questions, but I think we'll do the questions a, a little bit later on or if they fit into the conversation at the moment. Um, let's talk about that vaccine for a second. Again, they're talking about, oh, we can't get out until there's a vaccine. Now, a vaccine, even if they discovered one today, they're not going to have it ready for a year and a half. I mean, is right. that really a realistic thing? And then is that going to be a silver bullet? The flu vaccine, and again, understanding this isn't the flu, is what, on average, 50% effective every year? Yeah, uh, the, the bottom line is that it's really good to be looking for the vaccine, waiting on the vaccine. You may as well just put a bullet to your head and go die now if you're going to wait on the vaccine. It's just a real bad social policy. Get the vaccine, have it, test it, see how safe or unsafe it is, see what percent of people get antibodies level enough to confer immunity, and then you figure it out. But waiting on the vaccine, like it's a cavalry and the only thing that can save us, that's good PR for companies selling vaccines, but it's insanity. Well, and again, I always get afraid, especially when they rush something to market, mm -hmm. because Again, it takes a while. You need to thoroughly test it and know what the long-term Sorry, you don't because are. of course you don't. I do. Because, no, no, no. <laughs> because the companies are saying, we will only do this if you grant us total immunity for anybody we kill with this. So no, they don't have to Because I'm not that. jumping on the front of that line. No, I'm not jumping I think on the people, front of that line truly, either. I mean, I always say this, you know, and in general, when people get drugs or prescriptions, like always better, unless you absolutely, the older drugs aren't working, don't take the new drug. Yeah, older, the older ones have, they have right. Older is safer. They've got more experience. The new stuff, they don't have all the information. And same thing. I'm never jumping on the front of that vaccine line. Personally, other people make different choices depending on their health profiles. But yes. you, you want to have a lot of experience out in the world before you go jump on that, unless you absolutely need it. Yeah, I think we'll know. We can address that more once we see what it is and what the studies are showing with yeah. it. Right now, we don't even know if people get immunity from the virus itself, let alone from the vaccine. And we don't know its mutation rate. It's too early to look. To That's a horse we don't have to be right. evaluating for another year and a half. So right now, though, there's simple things. you don't. Have, you can really feel safe because you are safe. You know, simple measures, do the nutritional support, get your sleep, know that they find a doctor who will give the Zitramax and Plaquenil at first sign of the infection and enjoy the time out a bit. Be reasonable, considerate. You know, the, when you wear the ma face mask, that's not to protect yourself. doesn't protect you. It keeps you from sneezing and aerosolizing in the air, so you're protecting other people. So my wife joked, she said, well, when we're, I'm, we're wearing, wearing the mask. That's kind of our way of saying, I love you, because I'm wearing the mask to protect you. So that's I would just take that state of mind with it. Yes. Um, so, know. hey, somebody asked, because we jumped past. You said melatonin was beneficial. 
but then we jumped past it. So why is melatonin beneficial? There are a number of mechanisms that it has on immune function. It's really very, very early research suggesting that it may help this virus. As but a treatment or as a preventative? Both. And so it costs what, two cents a pill, five cents a pill. I, I personally am taking the five milligrams at bedtime. I don't think the brand matters a whit. Um, if I were to get the virus, I would up that to five milligrams four times a day. Yeah. And melatonin has, uh, like when people use it for sleep, since it's a hormone-based thing, that, it, that you have to adjust it. And is there any issue with adjusting it in this case? All right. No. And let me go back to vitamin C for a second, because one of the treatments they've talked about is high-dose vitamin C. Yes. And is that, that's intravenous in the hospital, not necessarily orally? Both. So I have people take 500 milligrams a day now for protection. Just for uh, at first sign of symptoms, I go up to 500 to 1,000 milligrams four times a day. Uh, if you start to get diarrhea, that's your body's way of saying that's more than we need. And it's not harmful, but it's just a nuisance, so cut back. You can push the dose, if you got, especially with a buffered vitamin C, it's easier on the stomach. You can push it up as high as your body will take it without giving you diarrhea. Can I overdose body. on vitamin C? If you overdose, you're going to get the uh, diarrhea, and that's, just, and that's just a way of saying it. it's not dangerous, it's right. just a nuisance. Now, for intravenous vitamin C, I would be going with 10,000 to 25,000 milligrams IV, but that you'll need a holistic doctor, and they, they will know the dosing and the things they're comfortable with. But the other thing is licorice. Uh, glycerizin is, has been studied in hepatitis and a host of other uh, viruses and shown to be incredibly effective. Um, and so if I had, I wouldn't take it now, but if for sinus symptoms, I'd be taking a cup or two of licorice tea each morning, unless people have uncontrolled high blood pressure. Uh, but intravenous glycerizin uh, is being studied in China now for the virus. I think that has a very high probability because it was effective as my memory serves and the other studies against other coronaviruses, um, as well as numerous other viruses. It's benign, it's cheap. And if you're seeing a holistic doctor who is giving the IV vitamin C, they can also probably give the IV glycerizin. And that combo, you know, is a one-two punch, I think, for the virus. I think that's, that's an important. Yeah. And many hospitals are giving the IV vitamin C. Yeah, I knew that they were doing it in the hospitals, which was huge for, for hospitals to be doing vitamin C. I thought that was enormous. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about those tests. Because again, mm -hmm. so those, it's kind of the two sides that everybody's hanging themselves on for being able to get out. They're saying, mm -hmm. we need treatments. And then we need to be able to test everybody. And every day there's a different discussion of tests. First, it was the nasal swabs. First, it was the deep nasal swabs. Then it was the shallow nasal swabs. Now there's a saliva test that just got approved, I think, yesterday. Um, and yet everybody's saying that there aren't enough tests. So what's, what's working? What's not? What's of like, you know, again, people are complaining that they're not able to get tests. I saw today that China's holding back sending tests that they were supposed to because of some trade regulations hello yeah I, most of the at, in the beginning there's a real problem with getting enough tests up and running quickly enough and getting access to it uh, that i think is being remedied um in terms of which, te which test you know it's it's going to boil down to what they have at the testing center you're going to uh, more importantly is where do you get tested? If you have to walk into a room full of people hacking and coughing to get the test, I wouldn't. Um, but if you have a drive-through you can go through, um, that's fine. And I would just go to any place that has a drive-through where you don't have to be sitting in crowds with sick people. And, and we talked about false negatives and false positives. 
every test, every test, every test out there in existence pretty much has false negatives and false positives. Even the pregnancy tests, all, all of them have both. Um, Do and they have a higher rate of it? A little bit, but not high enough that I would really think twice about doing it or relying on the results of it. I mean, I would still, if I had to cough and shortness of breath and test was negative, I would still be on the Zithromax and the Plaquenil anyway. Now, having any of those symptoms, fever, cough, shortness of breath, I tell people, go on the medications and then do the test. We say you'll know later. And at that point, since you're already on the medication, it doesn't matter if the test is right or wrong. Yeah, and it's so close enough for accuracy to tell you later if you're immune. Again, assuming you can get the medication. Assuming, assuming the you can get the medication. I think I heard, and I don't know if this has changed, but as of last week in New York, if you weren't in the hospital, the doctors couldn't use it directly. They couldn't. You could, the doctor's flooding, office couldn't. But it's, it's rapidly coming in. Yes, they did have that. and Or unless you had a positive test is actually what it was. You needed a proof of a positive right. test right. for New York. So the, the bottom line is the test doesn't matter if it's not accurate by 1%. If it's 99 or 95% accurate, that's enough for what you're needing here because you're not basing treatment decisions on it. You're just trying to get a sense of things and know for the future. How important is it going to be for, I'll call it everybody to get tested, like do the census, right? Are we going to need 350 million people to get tested for this so that everybody can understand now the incidence of it in the population? No, if, if they do a sample here and there of 500 to 1,000 people, they'll know what percent are immune and then they can run the numbers from that. So people can do it or not as they prefer. It's kind of like, do you want to know the sex of your baby before it's born? It's, you know, it's, it'll be a matter, in my opinion, of personal preference. Um, so you can know whether you're at risk again, so you don't have to, so you can feel totally right. safe if you're yeah, positive and you can feel reasonably safe just with the common sense stuff we gave today, even if you're uh, not immune yet. Now they're talking about a new test, a blood um, antibody test. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a new thing that was announced today. Abbott Labs has an IgG antibody test. Yeah, not very uh, helpful for the short term now because right. it doesn't turn positive on many people for until after the bug is it's, done. It's delayed. But it takes a while for that to show, yeah. right? So the, tell tell people what IgG that the the two antibodies do. Now, these are basically your body's uh, immune system. So you can think of the IgG as the army. It takes them a while to gear up, move everybody, and in four to six weeks they're in place, but then they stand guard. The IgM are the shock troops. These are the ones gone now. For the first you know, a week or two of the infection, they go in, they learn how to fight the infection, they learn how to kill it, they get rid of it. Those are your Marines, and you're going in. And then the IgG are just the ground troops that you train them for this enemy, this is how they attack, here's how you kill them. And they'll protect you lo and, long into the future. Right. So right. that way they can't invade you again. That's what immunity is. Right. IgG so, means you're now immune to that bug. Right. So these new tests, though, so this new Abbott Labs, which is just IgG, you would have to get that later. That's not going to be an immediate test. Speaking of, you could get a false negative. Right? Yeah. It, it's just it, That's later after this is passed in this first wave to tell you if you're immune. Right. That's all. And that's handy. You know, I, I'm proud we'll do that just for why not. <laughs> um, okay. I had a couple other questions from people. Let's see. Wait, if you do show that you have immunity, would it be a lifetime, a few years, only a year? Uh, so yeah. No, so if your IgG nope. is permanent or if you positive for IgG, are you now immune like you had chicken pox? 
Um, it probably won't be long-term. We don't know if it'll be at all. Um, because the problem is these viruses continue to mutate. That's why you like can be flu. immune to the flu of 2019 and not be immune to the flu of 2020. We don't know how this one's going to mutate. We also don't know if they're even going, there are people who are become infected or at least shed virus after the infection is gone. So we don't know if they can even reinfect, if it even gives enough immunity to protect this specific strain of virus. So the proper answer is, we don't know. We are hoping that it will give at least several years or maybe longer term immunity. Gotcha, okay. Someone asked earlier about um, whether smokers were more likely to get corona. And I guess so a question about smokers and then are there any other profiles? I heard that obesity actually is a big cofactor for risk. Well, the main risk, smoking, maybe. Uh, the main risks that we've seen are diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, and underlying heart disease in terms of having a heart attack or heart failure at the time. Those are the four horsemen here. So it's really interesting, like, again, because we said this isn't a respiratory infection, it's not necessarily a lung thing. It's a body well, strength thing that's putting you more... It's, an, it's a lung infection but, and body-wide infection, including the gut. Um, but it has more to do with how you're built than how the virus is built in terms of how you're going to do. So if you give yourself what you need for your body to be strong and healthy, the virus is likely to pass by your door, never infect you, or you have a mild infection they didn't even know you had it, and be gone. Which so, is very And many people, as we know, had that happened to them. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's just to take a good multi with the zinc and 500 or C, you know, get your sleep. It's just common sense stuff. It's not big deal stuff. Great. It's e okay. It's easy. All right. So let me give everybody some, some more information on a couple of things. First of all, thank you, Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum. Your no, website, Vitality 101, they can get all sorts of information from you about you and the work that you do. Um, Bottom Line has published a free downloadable immune boosters book, which some of the great um, tips from all sorts of our doctors, Dr. Teitelbaum and other doctors. You can do that, get that for free. Literally, that's all. We just want you healthy <laughs> at uh, bottomlineinc.com forward slash immune boost. And Jake and I are going to be back on Monday, this coming Monday at two o'clock, and we're going to be talking more about immune boosting strategies. Um, mm -hmm. So mark your calendars, come on back. And thank you so much. Thank you, Jake. Have a great, great day. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Be well. Thanks. <laughs> I'm talking to Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum in order to sort out the confusion with regard to treatments and testing for COVID-19. The public is left stressed and anxious due to the mixed messages coming from different healthcare professionals and the news media. In the end, patients need to know that there are viable options currently available to help those heal who are sick. Dr. Teitelbaum has helped thousands of patients find vital health with his balanced perspective on the judicious use of conventional medicine along with natural strategies to help the body function at its best. He's just one of thousands of top experts who are part of the Brain Trust for our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, where we provide guidance to help you live happier, healthier, and wealthier lives. Our experts share insights on not just overcoming diseases and making tough healthcare decisions, but in all aspects of your life, including managing your money, smart home repair, living a healthy life, how to find bargains, unique travel destinations, smart tax strategies, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of our experts' greatest tips of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.